everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Caitlin McLarnon. Caitlin is a nationally certified school psychologist and has spent the majority of her career at the elementary level in Connecticut, but she also worked in New York City with children of all ages. Caitlin is also a proud mother of two, soon to be three children. In addition to running special education meetings, she has also been on the other side of the table as a parent, as her oldest had an IEP. In today's episode, we will go over everything you need to know when it comes to intervention for your child's education. What is tiered instruction? What is an intervention plan? A 504? An IEP? What do I do if I worry that my child may have an auditory or visual processing concern or dyslexia or dysgraphia? What is a PPT meeting? All of these questions will be answered and so much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. Today, we have Caitlin McLarnon here on the podcast. Welcome, Caitlin. Hi, thank you. So today, this is I'm just really, really excited about this because, as I was mentioning to you before, Caitlin, my one of our children has just struggled quite a bit in school since she started. And inevitably, you know, we have two, well, no, now three out of four of our kids going through the public school system. And, you know, your child, I feel like there's there's like this like stigma behind like special education. And mm-hmm. at least when I was growing up, it was like, oh, those kids are in special education. It's not like that. I don't know if it's completely different when it comes to the setup of it with inside the schools, but mm-hmm. you have no idea what a child might need special education services for. Like there are so many different things. And I guess I just, I wasn't completely aware of that. Certainly not when I went to school. And now that I have children going through the public school system, it's like, oh, there are just so many different things that your child might need help with. And so I wish as a parent that I knew what steps I could be taking with my child to be more proactive and getting her resources that she might need sooner rather than later. And now I'm more prepared for that for my other two kids that might need it. But I was very ill-prepared for our second that really needed a lot of help. So I'm excited to talk to you about how that progresses. And if you have a child that you think might need help in whatever area you think it might be, Actually, I think maybe starting off with what are all the different sections of special education that a child might need resources for? Like, what are some of the things that you see kids for? I think that would be great to start off with. Yeah, that's a really good question. So like you said, there are so many different what we call classifications that a child could need specialized instruction or special education in. So that ranges anywhere from a learning disability. So that's when you think about like kids who are having a hard time with reading or kids who are struggling with writing or maybe all of the school subjects that would be a learning disability. You have kids who have other health impairment. That could be a diagnosis of an attention deficit disorder, so ADD. But it could also be something else. Maybe the child had cancer when they were little and they had chemo, which then impacted them medically. So they need some assistance in school now in the future. So that whole category is wide in itself. Autism is another classification. And as we know now that autism is a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. So that child might be really struggling with school or they might not be and they just need a couple extra things to help them get through the day, whether it's just like some social skills work or breaks. We have a speech and language impairment. So that could be that the child is having either difficulty expressing themselves with their language or also understanding language that's spoken to them. We have emotional disability. So somebody who has a really, really bad anxiety disorder, for example, They might need an IEP to help them throughout the day. And then cognitive impairment, which is when you know you have a child who has a lower IQ. So their ability to kind of take in information and learn is obviously impacted. So Mm -hmm. those are just some examples of some classifications. And like you said, you hit the nail on the head. It can be for so many different things. And you know, you hear, I think you're right. When we were when we were kids, you'd hear special education and you think, oh, okay, that might be a child in a wheelchair or somebody who has to take a small bus to school or they're in a different classroom all day. And it's not that. 
You're mm-hmm. exactly right. It's it's all of these things. And it could be just for minimal parts of the day, or it could be for extended periods of the day. And every mm-hmm. every single one of them is different. Yes. Now, can you talk to us too about like what are some of the things, and I'll talk to from my personal experience, but like what are mm-hmm. some of the things we should be looking out for in our children that might be a sign that it's time to maybe take that next step and talk to the school and say, hey, is it possible that we can look more into my child's, you know, X, Y, and Z? I, I see them struggling, especially when they get home, and I'm worried yeah. that there might be some issues um, within the classroom. At least with us, we knew that so our child that has she has a couple different things going on. <laughs> it's it's wild to me because it's like I almost kind of foresaw this even before she started school. She is mm-hmm. very eccentric, extremely eccentric and very oriented creatively. And so by the time she was two, even before two, like she threw me her diaper and she was like, no more. Like, I don't need this anymore. Even at nighttime, like it was a wild phenomenon. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. (laughs) Who are you? I I guess we'll do that. (laughs) And she just started dressing herself. Like she was barely two years old and she was putting these immaculate outfits together. Like when I tell you these outfits are like straight out of a fashion magazine. It's just like an incredible thing. So she's always asking for like sparkly skirts and metallic this and just very loud and just, and I love it so much. It's like one of my favorite things. That is where she thrives. She thrives in like this creative space and thrives a lot with numbers and math and stuff like that. But when it comes to reading, she just, her interest is Null. I mean, it is zero. And it's one of those things where because she struggles, it's even more so, right? Because she's like, I don't need to do this. Like if I'm not, if if it's just not clicking to me, like I don't, I don't care about it. It just kind of like spirals out of control from there. Yeah. But I knew, you know, in kindergarten, it's like, ah, you know, I kind of had an inkling of, I don't know how this reading is going to go. And then you, of course, take the fact that I really dove into how our district was teaching reading. And unfortunately, it was not based on the science of reading. And then I did more research and Connecticut, and we can kind of talk briefly about this, but Connecticut gave the schools a year or whatever to come up with a a new curriculum, a new plan that was based on the science of reading. And of course, our district chose to say, yeah, they chose yep. the waiver. <laughs> and I want to scream. And so I argued with the superintendent back and forth, back and forth, and it was just not a good scene. Anyways, so we have a combined curriculum, which is not going to change uh, from what I can understand. So anyway, my child was originally taught to guess the words. And so that compiled on top of this auditory processing issue and like some other things, reading was just, yeah, it was like for the first two years, there was no progress. (laughs) Mm. But in kindergarten, I became concerned. And then I wish I had been a little bit more proactive into first grade. But what can we be like looking for? And not just for reading, but just, you know, as a general whole with the things that you mentioned, what are some things that we can see in our kids that might give us an inkling that we might need to take next steps? I think one of the things that you had mentioned is interest, because sometimes what we see is that kids will come home and they won't want to do, let's just kind of talk about reading just because it makes Mm -hmm. it easier, but they don't want to pick up the book. They can't find a book they like. They struggle. You have tears. Sometimes when you see a lack of interest in something, it's really because they're avoiding it because it's hard for them. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with so many families too that say, you know, my kid apparently is an angel at school and then they come home and they're monsters, whether or not they're just like crying, they're emotional, they're yelling, they refuse to do anything. So I think, you know, stress level, if you're seeing that your kids are stressed out after school, of course they might be tired, but it is something to consider that maybe it's just that they're using so much of their emotional Mm -hmm. and mental effort to focus on things that might be hard for them throughout yeah. the day. Yeah. So that way, you know, when they come home, they're just done and they're exhausted. So that's definitely a sign of something you could look for. And I think, you know, honestly, just asking your child's teacher 
as many questions as possible. Like at conference time or even more frequently. Like I I had a conference for one of our kids recently and you know the teacher was like, "Oh yeah, she's doing great. She's right where she should be." And I'm like, "That's great news, but how do you know that? What are you using to figure out that she's right where she should be?" And right. you know, like you said, the science of reading and not every district is there yet, unfortunately. So kind of finding out what assessments your child's school is using to figure mm-hmm. out where their reading level is. And hopefully it's not Fontis and Pinnell still, but oh. I know a lot of districts still are. <laughs> it really kills me. <laughs> it Yeah, it's, it is so frustrating. And like, especially I... Even within our state, every district is different because they allow that waiver. So that's really yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So I'm like, what's the point of making this, a, you know, a law written into law if we're just going to allow waivers? Like, what is the yeah. actual point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Understand. But oh I would say, gosh. you know, like if if you're starting to feel a little bit of a question or a concern, like don't don't feel bad asking your child's teacher to show you work samples. Like, okay, like if. She's doing well in math. Can you show me what does that look like? What does that mm-hmm. look like compared to the other kids in in your class? I always like when teachers bring anonymously, but a comparable work sample of like, okay, this is where the highest child mm-hmm. in our class is. This is where are the lowest child in our class is. And this is kind of the in-between. So you can get an idea as a parent what your child is in that spectrum of abilities. Yeah. yeah and you mentioned like the child might come home really tired. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and and it all clicks once it all comes together. But I promise you it doesn't click when everything is kind of happening in, in separated parts. And so another thing that was happening that I didn't put two and two together until honestly this past year, that same child would come home exhausted in bed 7 p.m. Like yep. in bed, asleep. Asleep, sometimes asleep before we would like get in there to say goodnight because, you know, they read in their bed and, you know, they'll draw on their bed or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and we'll sleep sometimes past the 7 a.m. little clock that we have inside the room, you know? Yeah. So she is like a 12 plus hour sleeper. And it's because, so we, when we had our recent PPT meeting, the psychologist was explaining to to us, they they were like, you know, your daughter to keep up is trying, you know, 30% more than her peers to get to where they are because of all of the, the learning issues that she, she is having. And so it, it was like, once that clicked, I felt terrible because I'm like, I didn't even realize you know? Yeah. So I would definitely say that that's a huge, huge thing to look out for. Yes. Agreed. I have found, yeah, with her specifically, like she is exhausted from trying so hard all day. Yeah. I know it's one of those things where it kind of shows itself in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And because we talked about reading and science of reading and all of that, I I know that a lot of people might have heard of this, but there are still some people that are kind of learning about what the heck are you talking about? Science of reading? Yeah. You mean my school (laughs) might not be teaching reading correctly? All I can say is in a nutshell, if you listen to the Soul to Story podcast by Emily Hanford, it explains everything and it's way better explained than I could ever explain it. And she, you know, it's like six episodes or whatever, and it's broken down into like the different, you know, how it all started back in the Mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, and then it kind of comes to present day. And it's incredibly interesting. And it will empower you to know what's actually going on within your own school di- district and you'll be able to ask the right questions. Yes, so I 100%. do highly recommend listening to that. Um, every single parent should be listening to that to to get the information they need. And there, you know, your school very mal- very well might be completely up to speed with the science of reading. It just mm-hmm. depends on where you are, where you're located and yeah. So um, that's that. So, okay. So if I am concerned about my child, what are my next steps? So say I've talked to my teacher, you know, my child's teacher and they kind of agree, like, what are those next yeah. steps going to be? So the next step is that your child should be receiving some sort of an intervention. So when we talk about interventions in school, we like to think of it as like a triangle 
with tier one at the bottom, tier two in the middle, and tier three mm-hmm. at the very top. So when you talk about tier one, that's the biggest. That's kind of like what any child in your school can receive in their classroom. For example, it could just be, okay, you might start, okay, I have a little bit of a concern about this student and their reading. Maybe I'll pull them into like a small group in the back of the classroom, you know, a couple times a week just to see if they just need a little bit more smaller group instruction kind of informally. Or I might move that student closer to me because maybe they're just not paying attention. Or if you're talking about like a behavior plan, that might be like a class behavior plan. So everybody in the classroom is getting it. They're all receiving marbles or something of a reward or class points for every positive thing that they do. So basically Mm -hmm. anybody in that school is receiving that instruction or can receive that instruction. So then if you're having a concern about your student, the next step would be to put them into what's called a tier two intervention. So that's kind of like that next step up in that triangle. Mm -hmm. What that would look like is your teacher would meet with a team and Special education and schools have so many acronyms and it's different everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've worked in a school where it was like your RTI, response to intervention team, Mm -hmm. or MTSS, like everywhere it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, SRBI, there's all these different terms for it. So like you can ask your child's teacher, okay, if if my child needs an intervention, what's the name of the team that we'll Mm -hmm. need to kind of discuss it and plan the intervention for them. So that is some extra support targeted for whatever the concern is. Let's stick with reading as an example. If your child is struggling with decoding, so kind of like looking at the words, breaking them down and being able to read them, then a reading specialist might pull your child in a small group a few times a week to meet to practice those skills. What your school should be doing and what the reading specialist should be doing is picking a very specific goal that your child should be working towards. Mm -hmm. So it might be that they can decode a certain list of words that might be a grade level. And that reading specialist should track at least once a week and what we call progress monitor, how your child is doing on that specific goal. Mm -hmm. So then you would like the school to have this intervention for six to eight weeks and then have them meet again after the intervention to see, okay, did my, did the student make progress? Did they master this? And should we focus on something else? Or do we think that they can go back to the classroom and be fine now that they've had a little bit of extra help? So that's kind of the next step. After that, when a child does not make the progress that you want to see, then that's when you move into that tiny little top of the triangle, which is tier three. And that's when they get even more support. So it might be that they're seen every single day in a small group, or they might see the reading specialist one-on-one. So it would be more frequent. It would be more targeted. And then again, you want that intervention to be a six-to-week intervention with the progress monitoring And then you want to come back to the table and see how that child did. Mm -hmm. So those are kinds of the things that I think it's important for parents to know and understand that there should be in your child's school kind of like a very specific procedure to go through these tiers and reach the very top tier when there's a lot of concern. Okay. So Caitlin, with tiered support, does that vary school to school or is that typically the same kind of setup Mm -hmm. where it's like that triangle and tier one is basically classroom instruction and then tier, you know, tier three would be that more specialized, like one-on-one type of instruction. So generally it is the same in most places. I mean, to be honest, it will look slightly different just depending on where you are. But from what I know is that most schools do try to kind of follow that tiered support. And sometimes, you know, I would say schools have a harder time when it comes to kind of developing that specific goal, which is why I think it's important for parents to know. You can go in and you can say, okay, I I get that my kid is getting extra support in reading. What are they working on? What are you targeting? Is it decoding? Is it comprehension? Is it something else? And 
think it's important that it should be very specific and you should know what specifically they're working on so that you can do the same thing with them at home. Yeah. So I find it to be so interesting. So like a little bit of a background, and this is why I say like be as involved as you can and make sure you're cleaning out your kid's backpack. And so, you know, not every kid's the same and you're going to have a kid who comes home and gives you every single piece of paper they ever received ever. Okay. And then you're going to have a child who never gives you any piece of paper ever. Okay. So this child... (laughs) Never gives me any pieces of paper ever. What happened was apparently she was put into tier one support at like the end of kindergarten. I was never alerted. Apparently I was alerted via piece of paper. Never ever saw this piece of paper. And what happened was then throughout first grade, they actually moved her into tier two. Didn't know about that either. And apparently came home through a piece of paper. No one ever contacted me. And, you know, and I I would like to say it doesn't matter what district you're in. It could be a district where they're very well known for their academics. And this stuff happens all of the time. Things happen. And so it wasn't until uh, she got moved into tier three support that I was actually aware. So what happened was there was a teacher conference and these teachers are lovely, you know, and I don't fault the teachers at all. It, there's a lot going on and, and everybody in the school system, they don't get paid enough. So, you know, it, there's so many different mm-hmm. things happening. And there's a lot of students, right? And so you know your kid best, like just, you know, advocate for your kid. That's the best I can tell you. And so I go to the teacher conference and they're like, okay, she's moving up into tier three reading support. And I was like, I'm sorry, let's just back up a little bit. What do you mean? What about one and two? What about one and two? What happened to one and two? And they're like, oh, well, she was, and I was like, what? Flabbergasted. And obviously very mad (laughs) because I was like, I could have been working with her. I could have, you know what I mean? Like I just, as a parent, you're like, oh my gosh. And so our district also said their tiered support is going to look differently than other districts tiered support. And I was like, why? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? And so my was under the impression that by tier three, it was like more of a pull out of class one-on-one thing, but it actually wasn't. Like she was still working with other students. And so anyway, all that to say, there was never like a one-on-one type of situation. I ended up just being extremely proactive at the end of first grade because I I know deep down in my mom heart that something else was going on and there was going to be no more progress. And especially like over the summers, there's a regression, a significant regression. And so she starts back off months behind anyways, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just not want to keep this cycle going. And reading is ultimately like, to me, that's like the number one thing that kids learn in school. Like that, it that needs to happen. Everything else, I'm like, we'll figure it out. Reading, everything is based off of reading as you get older. You need to be able to read uh, word problems to solve them. You need to be, you know, so it's, it's just so, so, so important. Yeah. Um, and we ended up having to just, I was like, balls to the wall last year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> after first grade. I, you know, I ended up emailing the school and saying, so what happened too was I was getting no updates about tier three support. So if, you know, as a parent who's lived this, I would suggest telling them what you expect because they're more than happy to give it to you truly, but it's, you have to make those expectations clear. And I think if you're not asking the questions, you know, you're not going to voluntarily get any information. You're just not, these are busy people and they don't get paid enough. Like, as I said, like, it's just not there's not enough time in the day. And so what I ended up asking for was like, at the end of each week, I want you to send me home with something I can work along with her over the weekend and something she worked on during the week, right? What are our goals? Like you had said before, like make sure that you understand what exactly they're going over. And that can be something you also maybe, you know, implement at home, maybe in a fun way, right? Like obviously your child, at least our child doing anything after school, it's it's real. I don't want, I don't want to do that with her because she needs a break. Like she is trying so hard. Right. And I don't really want to do anything that's not going to be like fun. So anyway, so I would suggest doing that and getting some idea of like what's going on because at the end of the first grade year, all I got was an email that had two sentences in it that said, your child will continue tiered three support in the next year. And I was just like, okay. And I called and I was like, this is unacceptable. You can't send me this one liner saying, what is going on? Like, what exactly is she not? What do I need to expect? Do I need to take next steps? Like, I feel like a year of tier three is probably enough. We need to figure out what's going on. What is hindering her? Like, can we maybe get a diagnosis? I don't know. And what I've learned too, and you can touch on this is 
you know, how early you can get mm-hmm. a diagnosis of, say, you know, dysgraphia, dyslexia, auditory processing delays, things like that. Because I know from what I understand, you know, the child does need to be, you know, in, in school for a year or two or three to be able to make those type of diagnoses. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, so we ended up at the end of first grade. I was just like, I want to take the next steps. What are the next steps? And, you know, they said, okay, first thing and you know when once we get back into school in the fall uh, we will make an appointment to talk about you know having her evaluated mm-hmm. basically this podcast episode is brought to you by mosh whether you're fighting the morning rush off to fit in a midday workout or between meals on a busy day mosh protein bars are a great snack to keep your brain and body fit fueled and feeling full There are six delicious flavors to choose from, and each bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health, like omega-3s, collagen, and more. At 160 calories and one gram of sugar, Mosh Protein Bars are a great snack for on the go. Even our kids love them. My personal favorite flavor is the peanut butter chocolate crunch, but all of the flavors are pretty darn good, and you can't go wrong. I keep these bars in my car for on the go, and it's great to have a protein boost available whenever I may need it. Another one of my favorite things about this brand is that they donate a portion of all proceeds to support women's brain research through the Women's Alzheimer's Movement at Cleveland Clinic. Don't settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed. Whether you're at the gym, on the go, or just living your best life, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain and body fit, fueled, and feeling good. Head to moshlife.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all six delicious flavors. That's M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind kind of going into just like the next steps after tiered mm-hmm. support like if you have a child that's in tiered support if you think that they there's something else going on like what are the next steps and how long should they be in tiered support before you as a parent say okay enough like, is enough yeah can we yeah exactly yeah. exactly like what's yeah that's a really good question so like you said we should not have a student in tier three support for a full school year without then taking that next step. So if you have a child who is receiving all of the support at school and you know you keep going through rounds of six to eight weeks interventions over and over and over and they still require that, that's usually a red flag that there is something else going on. So that's when you know, similar to your story, you can reach out to the school and say, hey, I'm continuing to be concerned. Obviously, you are as well because you have my child in tier three intervention. Can we take this next step and go to an evaluation? So as a parent, what you can do Mm -hmm. is you can request to have a meeting to discuss that anytime you want. Even if you feel like, okay, they've only been in intervention a few months, but I really just have this concern deep down, you can always request to have a meeting to discuss an evaluation. What will happen at that meeting? And again, this varies district by district, state by state. In Connecticut, we call these PPT meetings. In New York, they call Mm -hmm. them CSE meetings. So it might sound different from state to state, but it's basically the same thing everywhere. It is a formal meeting. It should be held at least 10 school days within the time that you request the meeting. And it is everything that you discuss at that meeting is documented. So, you know, if you are a parent who is very concerned about your child, it's always a good step to take because then you have this documentation that, hey, I was concerned. This is what we talked about at this meeting. And these are these are the steps that everybody is going to take going forward. So it's good mm-hmm. to have that documentation. So then when you have that meeting, it generally is a busy place. There's a lot of people involved. So you mm-hmm. you have, and again, this varies state by state, district by district, but generally who you have is you'll have the administrator. So either a principal, assistant principal, you have a chairperson who runs the meeting. Sometimes in your school district, it might be the principal. Sometimes it might be the school psychologist. 
Sometimes it might be somebody from central office who comes in to run the meetings, but that's the person who kind of is in charge of taking notes and documenting everything, sending you the paperwork you need. You'll have your child's Mm -hmm. classroom teacher there. There will be a special education teacher there. There will most likely be a related service provider. So that would be like um, a speech and language therapist or the school psychologist or the occupational therapist, depending on the concerns that you have for your child. Mm -hmm. And then at that meeting, what you should expect as a parent is for your child's classroom teacher to come to the meeting with documentation of all of their testing scores, of all of their work samples, all of their classroom assessments. And you'd want the interventionist to bring all of the data that they've been taking during that time. So you can say, okay, like, hey, my child isn't making the progress that we should be expecting after this point. So let's go forward with the evaluation. Mm-hmm. And Like I said, parents are allowed to request a PBT or whatever they call it in your district anytime they want to. It's generally good to wait at least a couple rounds of intervention so that you have that data to use at the meeting to really Mm -hmm. make your point. But parents are allowed to call meetings whenever they want to. And I don't think everybody Mm -hmm. knows that. So it's important to know that you have that right as a parent. Yes. Okay, so first question would be, how long do they have from the the Mm -hmm. initial PPT meeting where we say, okay, um, all these people are involved and they're all going to perform different evaluations. How long do they have to perform those evaluations and then get back to you with those results? So in most places, the general rule is that they have 45 school days to do the evaluations, to meet again, and then if your child does qualify for special education to give you then their new plan going forward. So it's 45 school days, but then also 60 calendar days, whichever comes first. So like, for example, if Mm -hmm. you were to refer a child at the end of a school year and then summer happens, they would take that into consideration. So even though there weren't 45 school days, they don't want to wait more than 60 calendar days to get the evaluation Mm -hmm. done. So it's very important to know that there is a time clock Unfortunately, in a lot of places where there are a lot of kids, like I worked in New York City for a while, that isn't really followed as well as it should be. Mm-hmm. And what was happening in the city was that parents who knew their rights and knew to advocate for the timelines were getting what they wanted. And then parents who didn't know that mm-hmm. were not getting what they wanted. Right. I don't think it's like that in most places. Generally, people are very good at following procedures and timelines in schools, but it is good to know that going in so you know that you're not going to be waiting six months before you come back to the table. Right. And so your child's evaluated by all these different people. You get these results. And at least for us, it was two different appointments. Mm -hmm. So the first appointment is going over all of those results with all of the individual evaluators. And then you have another appointment, like in our case, it was the next day, where they talk about what interventions are going to be implemented. So I'd love for you to talk about as far as intervention goes, once your child's evaluated, Mm -hmm. The difference between like an an intervention plan, a 504 plan, and an IEP. Like what are the different, like what are those and what are the differences? So intervention plans, like let's say, for example, you have this child, they've been in intervention, you're not really sure if they would benefit from more. So you go to testing and all the testing comes back great. And you find that they really just need like a little bit of extra help to make progress. They might continue in that tier three intervention. It might be more targeted at that point because after... You do these evaluations, you look so deeply into every single academic skills Mm -hmm. and you can figure out, okay, like this child just needs a very short intervention in decoding or what have you, and they might be fine. So that's the intervention piece. What a 504 plan is, that is a plan that basically says that a child with any disability can access their education. And that's through any type of what's called an accommodation or a modification. So when you think about accommodations and modifications, you're thinking about just like environmental changes. So 
It might be that you know you have a child, you went through an evaluation, you found out that they're performing on grade level in academic testing and what have you, but they have an attention deficit disorder. So they might need a 504 plan to make sure that when they are in lessons, they're sitting right next to the teacher or they are sitting away from the window. It's very individualized on the child. So mm-hmm. some chi- some children might do better like in a quiet setting. Other children might do better with peer models. So it might be different just depending on your student. It could be a content-based accommodation. So like, for example, if you have a ch- child with a disability that impacts them, but they don't need any changes to the actual what they're learning, they might need like books on tape so that they don't have to read them. They just Mm -hmm. hear things or like when they take tests, they might need the directions to be read out loud to them and repeated Mm -hmm. so that you make sure that they understand things. And then there are also a physical accommodation. So sometimes a child gets a 504 plan for just a medical concern. So we have children with 504 plans that have asthma And they need to have their inhaler once a day before they need to have it at a certain time during the day. Or a child with diabetes needs to go to the nurse during snack time every day. So all of that is documented in what's called a 504 plan. So then the difference between a 504 plan and an IEP is that that's when a child needs what's called specialized instruction. So instead of just making those like accommodations, those changes, they actually need the content of what they're learning to be changed so that they're able to access their education. The good thing about an IEP is that it can also have all of those accommodations and modifications that we talked about. There is a section on an IEP that is accommodations and modifications, but then it's just additional support in addition to those accommodations and modifications. So you might have a child who has ADHD and they really just need to be able to take their tests in a quiet setting. And other than that, they can perform on grade level. But then you might have a child who has ADHD and They've missed so much of their learning that they then need to have content instructed to them in a different format. Mm -hmm. So when you get an IEP, it's a very, very thick document. There's lots of pieces and parts to it. But what is the same everywhere you are is that there are goals that are broken down into objectives. So Mm -hmm. for an example, you might have a goal that a student will improve their reading skills by X, Y, and Z. And then it's broken down into very specific objectives, each measuring a targeted skill within that. In addition to the goals, then you'd have the accommodations and modifications, and then you have services. So if you qualify for an IEP, you have the opportunity to receive specialized instruction from a special education teacher. So what that might look like, and again, an IEP is individualized, so it will be different for every single child that you work with because it's written to what that child needs specifically. Mm -hmm. They might be pulled out once a day during reading to get targeted specialized instruction in reading, and then they go back into their classroom for the rest of the school day. It might be that a special ed teacher or a paraprofessional goes into the classroom with them to work on something during a specific time. Um, Or you might have kids that need a special ed teacher or a paraprofessional with them all day long because their attention is so impactful or their behaviors are so impactful Mm -hmm. that they cannot access their education otherwise. So Mm -hmm. it looks different just based on every single child. I did want to also back up just a tad and talk about, so for us, this was a concern. I wanted to make sure that she was being tested for one thing in particular that I had an inkling Mm -hmm. about. And so do you mind just touching on, because what I found, and I don't know if this is with every school, so you can let Mm -hmm. me know. But what I found was that they would test her in one area. And if she scored a certain amount, they would move to the next test in, I don't know, say this, this other direction. It would, so 
they would give her these, you know, basic tests and then it would steer where the testing would go. Does that make sense? And so, um, I was very clear in the beginning. I was like, I have a concern for this. And so they tested her and then they took that in, in that specific direction and because of what her scores Mm -hmm. were. So is that how all testing is typically set up? And if as a parent, you have a concern about something specific, you obviously would want to, you know, let the team know ahead of time so they can look into it. A hundred percent. So when an evaluation is done, basically there's always kind of like a basic assortment of tests that a school generally does. So they always do cognitive assessment. So that is when they look at the child's ability to learn. So you're looking at looking at their like verbal comprehension. You're looking at their visual skills. You're looking at their reasoning skills, their memory. It's very basic, but it kind of covers a bunch of different areas. And then they always usually do academic reading, writing, math, no matter what the concern. So if you bring a child up and they have a reading concern, they're going to evaluate them in all of the academic areas just to kind of pinpoint to make sure that they're, you know, not having these like weaknesses in other areas because of their reading disability or what have you. Mm -hmm. So then kind of what you're speaking to, I think it's really important to go in as a team and talk about more specific things because again, every district is different and every evaluator is different. And some people are really good at doing comprehensive evaluations and kind of targeting different things to look at. And other people will do the bare minimum just because they're extremely busy. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's just the truth of the matter is that everybody's swamped. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right in that some people will take that initiative and kind of be like, oh, okay, they didn't do well on this. So I'm going to give them another test to kind of look at that a little bit closer, but not everybody does take that initiative. So other Mm -hmm. things that you can ask for in more specific ways, and I did this for my own daughter, is she's got a little bit of an ADHD, more so like executive functioning wise, whereas like she, Mm -hmm. she's a creative mess. So she sounds very similar to your daughter in a lot of ways. <laughs> she, she will come home and it's like a trail of her belongings. She constantly needs reminders to put her stuff where they belong. She'd rather oh, yeah. wear her sparkles and make a performance. Yep. So when she was evaluated, I was very adamant. Like I, I would really appreciate you doing rating skills for school and for home to look a little bit closer at that attention and executive functioning piece. I am evaluating a student right now. I've been doing some per diem evaluating and the parent was like, I'm just worried that she's like not retaining information. Like she learns it and then she loses Mm -hmm. it the next day. So I'm doing more testing on memory and I'm looking at this student's visual memory versus their verbal auditory memory. So that way we can kind of pinpoint, okay, is it that they're not remembering because they have a memory weakness or is there something else in the way? Mm -hmm. So that's like an example of just like additional testing that you can ask for if that's a concern for your child. And then Mm -hmm. it's always good to like, we have a wonderful speech and language therapist that I work with. And even when there's not a speech and language concern, she likes to do testing anyway, because she's like, sometimes that receptive language is impacting the student when you don't expect it to be. So like, For example, with reading comprehension, sometimes we're like, oh, they're just not getting it. They're not reading it. They're not whatever. But then we learn that, oh, actually, they have a receptive language issue where they're just not understanding what's being said to them. And that way you can target it that way. So that's always something that you can ask for. Most schools also have occupational therapists and physical therapists at the school. So if you have any concerns with like writing or fine motor skills, that's always something that you can ask for as well. Our sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. 
I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Okay, what does it look like to have either an intervention plan, 504 plan, IEP look like as far as what should we expect as parents as far as follow up? So is there any legal obligation with all three of those or just one of them? And then how often should we be hearing from the school and getting an update? Okay, that's a really good question. So we'll start at the top. So when you have an IEP, legally, the school team has to meet every year which around the time of what's called their annual review date. So let's say your child Mm -hmm. is tested, they qualify, they get an IEP, and that IEP starts December 15th. You should legally be meeting around December 15th, the following school year, to then go over your child's progress on all of their goals and then look at everything to see if they need continued support, if anything needs to be changed, what have you. But within that time period as well, what you should be doing is you should be receiving what's called a progress report at the same time as your conferences. So what are, sorry, not conferences, but the same time as your report cards. Mm -hmm. So what that would look like is when you get your report card, you also get a little additional paperwork that has your child's goals and objectives from their IEP and how they're performing on each of those goals and objectives. So mm-hmm. if everybody is doing this correctly, and more again, just some districts are better at documentation and taking data than others, you should have mm-hmm. specific data on those progress reports on how your child's doing. So let's say their goal is that they will increase their ability to decode 10 specific words on eight out of 10 occasions, then you might get a progress report that might say like, oh, Sally Sally has been able to decode these 10 words on three out of four occasions thus far. So it it should be specific. Mm -hmm. It should be numbers. It should be percentages. That's what you should be receiving. So you have that annual review PPT. However, like I said before, as a parent, you can request to have a team meeting or a PPT at any time within that school year. So if you know your child is getting special ed services and you feel like it's going great and you're in contact with her teachers, you might not need to have that meeting. But if you know you feel like, okay, I'm not really getting a lot of information. I'm not sure how she should be doing. You can always reach out to her special ed teacher and be like, hey, can we meet informally or can we have like a very formal PPT to kind of talk about things? Mm-hmm. And then on the same kind of wavelength, the school can call a PPT at any point in time. So we'll have PPTs within that year. Like let's say a student masters five of their goals and you're like, wow, this is wonderful. Let's come back to the table and write more goals to make, you know, push them to work harder. Mm -hmm. Or the opposite where you wrote a goal and the child is just like really struggling to make that progress. You might come back to the table and say, okay, I'm going to change this goal and maybe see them five days a week instead of four. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about an IEP is that it is documentation. It has to be implemented for that full year, but it's also fluid. So as you know, the specialists work with your child and get to know your child better, you can always come back to the table and modify it. 504 plan is very similar. You have to meet every single year around the same time that the 504 plan was developed. And again, Similarly, you can ask for a meeting within that school year at any time. Um, Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you might be like, oh, hey, like I just learned that my daughter is able to concentrate when she's allowed to hold a fidget in her hand or chew gum or something like that. So like you can just come back to the table, add an accommodation for the rest of the school year and be done with that. The one that I would say is the most wishy-washy, unfortunately, is when you have a tiered intervention because there isn't really any legality with that. Um, So kind of like what you were saying, every district is different with how they communicate 
to parents when their child mm-hmm. is receiving a tiered intervention. It's unfortunate. Again, some schools are much better at the communication piece than others, but that's, I think, where you really need to be your child's best advocate and just keep asking those questions and keep contacting the interventionist to figure out if they're getting what they need, if they're progressing, what that looks mm-hmm. like. And like you said, you can request to get information sent to you every week. So we have parents who have asked for special ed teachers to share data on their goals at the end of each week. So mm-hmm. you can be like contacted more often than those report card times to kind of see how your child is progressing specifically on each of their goals. So that's something you can always request. Again, some districts are better at doing that proactively than others. So you might just be getting that anyway. But other times you do unfortunately have to advocate a little bit more for asking for that information to be shared more frequently. Yeah. What if you have that PPT eval um, intervention meeting at the very end and you think that what is being put in place isn't going to be enough? Like, is there anything that you can do as a parent? Yep. So you are always, I say this all the time, you are the most important person at those meetings and you have the right to request anything that you think your child would benefit from. And then it's up to the school to either agree and do it or to refuse what you're requesting, but it's documented, which is the best thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always better to ask than not. So like, for example, the school might recommend that your child receives speech therapy two days a week. And you can say, Mm -hmm. I request that my child get it every single day. And the school will either come up with a compromise with you or they'll agree to what you ask for or they'll say, no, we don't think that's appropriate. But at least then it's documented that you requested that and they refused it. So you can always make those requests and you shouldn't feel bad about it because you do, you know your child best. So I, I've worked with families who the school will recommend like push and support instead of pull out. But, you know, the parents like, my, I know my child isn't concentrating as well as they can in the classroom. Can, I, can they be pulled out for reading instead? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think anytime you have those feelings and thoughts, you should just say them because the worst that the school will say is no. And then right. at least it's documented that you made that request. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. The only other thing I can think of too that I wanted to talk about very briefly, I know we're running out of time. <laughs> talk about this forever. I know, seriously. <laughs> so <laughs> say you have a specific concern about your child. So let's use dyslexia, which mm-hmm. I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like it's I, a big one I'm right now. overdue. I know. I'm <laughs> overdue on a, a podcast or several podcast episodes about dyslexia. Yeah. So I had an inkling in the very beginning about this, and it was poo-pooed by several people, not even just the school. I had her evaluated outside. Anyways, all that to say, that is uh, that ended up being part of our intervention and our process with mm-hmm. her. And you know, they did tell me like this is the absolute earliest we would ever even suggest that she has this in second grade. And so I'd love for you to kind of just touch on that. Is that true? And why is that? And is there anything we can be, not even just specific dyslexia or dysgraphia or Mm -hmm. auditory processing issues or, you know, like any of these things, are we as parents to advocate for that earlier? Should we wait it out? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I think the reason why people always say like, we should wait, we should wait, we should wait is because The tests that we do when we are evaluating children are standardized, which means that it takes the entire country and kind of comes up with a general average. And then your child is then compared to the general average within that country. Mm -hmm. So what happens is if you are testing a child in kindergarten, there aren't a whole lot of expectations that are put on a standardized test for a child in kindergarten. Because you have some kids starting kindergarten already knowing how to read, and you have some kids starting kindergarten who have never even been to preschool and don't know what a letter Mm -hmm. is. So they take that average, and then you're being compared to, you know, something that 
might not really show your weaknesses at that point. So I think, you know, generally waiting until first grade, second grade is kind of that common understanding and belief because of that. However, if you have a child who has been in tier three intervention in kindergarten and then into first grade and get you're getting towards the end of first grade and they're still in this tiered instruction, I would say do not wait until they're in second grade. There should never be yeah. an actual age where you're like, okay, we have to wait until they're seven and a half to do an evaluation. Mm-hmm. You can tell when there is a concern and your kid is not responding, never hesitate to even request it. And sometimes the school might say, okay, we, we still need to do like another six to eight week intervention, but then we can come back to the table. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, even though that's the general belief of why it's good to wait until like those skills are kind of developing for all students of that age. If you have a feeling in your gut that your kid is struggling, then never feel like you should wait and always mm-hmm. feel okay voicing those feelings. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think the last question I have is, are are services ever offered outside of the school day through any of those interventions, like the plan, mm-hmm. the 504 plan, the IDEA? Those always just based off of what is happening in within the school? Yeah. Day? So most often, it's the, the services that are recommended through an IEP are school-based services, which means that they happen within the school hours during the school day. Sometimes the district will pay teachers extra to do intervention groups before or after school, but not every district does that. It, again, it's all mm-hmm. dependent on resources and staffing. It's right. It's really unfortunate that it can't just be more generalized, but there is always the possibility, like I said, Many times parents can request anything. So there is something that um, I've worked with some families on, which is that they can request what's called compensatory services and go to mediation and due process. So what that might look like is let's say your child was receiving tiered intervention. While that was happening, you got tutoring. The school evaluated her and she didn't qualify, but then they evaluated her two years later and she did qualify, but you've been paying for tutoring this entire time. Oh, You are always allowed to request whatever you want. Like I said, the worst that's going to happen is the school says no, but I've had families who have been like, okay, well, I've been paying for tutoring for the past two years and now I want that refunded to me. Again, it Im- might involve going to mediation and due process, and that's not something that everybody wants to go through as a family, but mm-hmm. you should know that you have the right to request whatever you want to. And sometimes sometimes requests are appropriate and sometimes they're a little outlandish, but like mm-hmm. never feel bad and just asking. There's no harm in asking. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say too, and I don't know if you've seen this, Caitlin, but I can only imagine with the uptick in, you know, parental knowledge Mm -hmm. of what's been happening with reading throughout the country, the uptick of parents kind of paying more attention because what you realize is kids are getting into seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And the reason why they're not doing well in all the subjects or certain subjects is because they never quite learned properly how to read. But anyway, I feel like the uptick in parents that have children in elementary schools and the uptick of intervention in and of itself must be a lot higher, I would imagine, because parents are recognizing that their child might have an issue, right? And so I can't even imagine as someone that's part of the school and, you know, PPT meetings and, you know, all those different moving parts, everybody that is part of that meeting, how incredibly busy and overworked they are and how underpaid they are. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if I can just say like, you know, something to kind of like wrap this up, Again, it can be really frustrating. It was frustrating for us. And I try to always remember, like, this was probably not one person saying, you know, like, we don't want to help your child, right? It's just they're very stretched. Everybody's stretched thin. And, you know, they're understaffed. Mm -hmm. After COVID, 
teaching and schools and hospitals and er everybody left. Yeah. (laughs) No one cares about us anymore. But a lot of people left and schools are understaffed and they're underpaid. And now they're having this influx of kids that do need intervention, Mm -hmm. um, whatever that might look like. And, you know, it's like, how do you help all of these people, right? And it can be really, really hard. And things fall through the holes and it's never, you know, intentional, especially when it involves a child, like nothing's intentional. So I think when you do approach, when you do approach your school and whoever you're talking to, you know, just keep that in mind. Nothing's, and, and I did make it very clear that in the very beginning, I was like, you should probably change how you're contacting parents. Like we shouldn't be contacting via paper. Like this is, you know, like it's 2023. Like we can do an email or call, you know, whatever. But when it comes to other things like um, updating and such, I, I do think, you know, just try to keep that in mind. Yeah. It can be really hard and I'm sure it is. they have a million things going on. It is. It's extremely, like you said, it's it's extremely underpaid and understaffed, especially right now. And everybody's stressed out constantly. But, you know, I've worked with so many wonderful school teams that just have their hearts in the right place. and. They might not have the manpower to do everything exactly the way that they would like to, but they mm-hmm. everybody's doing their best. Right. Exactly. All right. So is there anything that we didn't mention that you think might be helpful for parents to know when it comes to all of this? No, I think, you know, just like the the biggest takeaway is don't feel bad or silly if you're asking a lot of questions because that's how you learn. And that's how you can help your kid the best is by asking those questions and following up and never feel like the school doesn't want to share with you because they do. Sometimes, like we just said, they're they're so busy that they just don't always think to initiate those conversations. So mm-hmm. of course, they'd love to have that conversation with you. So never, never feel guilty about, you know, asking your teacher questions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So I know we're like so over right now. So are you okay to answer these two questions I have that are unrelated to our conversation? Yes, totally fine. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm like, it's 11 morning. Okay. So the first question is, um, if you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be? I would say, aside from being your child's best advocate, I feel like I touched on that a lot today. My biggest thing is like, find your village of people who are going through the same thing that you are. You might be able, like, let's say you're navigating this special ed process. If you go on Facebook, you might be able to find a local parent group on Facebook or somewhere that are special ed parents that might be able to, you know, kind of talk you through this, answer your Mm -hmm. questions. You might be able just to meet up and have coffee or what have you. I would say, you know, surround yourself with people who are going through something similar. It is always so helpful to have people that you're close to that you can ask questions to. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, navigating through this. I mean, I had a few friends that had um, navigated it before I did. And thank God, because I knew what to ask for. And so that's really why I wanted to create this podcast episode, because I feel like obviously the more you know, the, the more prepared you are. And you can advocate for your child better when you know what the options are. Right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question is, if you could make one meal for your whole family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Ooh. Okay, so our go-to, my kids have now called this Mommy's Pasta Surprise, which is basically whole wheat pasta with their choice of sauce. Sometimes it's pesto. Sometimes it's tomato sauce. Sometimes it's butter. And basically whatever we have in our fridge. So sometimes it's a bunch of different vegetables. Sometimes it's chicken and just kind of mix it up, throw in some cheese and it's a surprise. So it's mommy's pasta surprise. <laughs> <a> surprise. <laughs> and I feel like if the kids are picking it, it's probably, you know, a huge hit because they love being able to pick and choose. Yes, what absolutely. My kids are like, want to be 100% involved and everything can't be touching and oh my gosh. Oh, yes. Don't Um, get me started on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so brutal. Um, All right. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for talking to us about this subject. I hope that it empowers parents to advocate for their kids and makes them more prepared for this journey. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be able to talk about it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. 
All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.